and welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow, and I'm joined today by Orly Morella. Oh, hey. Welcome. Welcome. So Orly's been a guest host on the show before, but I've never mentioned the fact that she is the singer and rhythm guitarist for Portland band Fun Yeti. That's me. What's Fun Yeti up to these days? Nothing. Just on hiatus. It's that baby getting in the way. The infamous baby. This baby. Are there plans to leave hiatus at some point? Always. Always. Mm-hmm. Good. Glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. So this episode, we're talking about June 1989. Mm. You remember June 1989? Well, I turned nine years old that month. Rock On by Michael Damien was topping the charts. Mm. Do you have any idea what that song Rock is? Rock on. Is that that one? Hey, kids. What? Summertime blues. I, I mean, that's a cover of a 70s song. I don't think I've ever heard the 70s version. Okay. Who sings the original? David Essex. And it doesn't sound like that? No, it sounds like that except less keyboardy, right? Oh. Less synthy. Otherwise, okay. it's the same song. Maybe I know both versions equally. Boo, boo, gooba, yeah. Rock on. Rock on. Rock on. <laughs> and where do we go from here? <laughs> Does he say that? Jimmy D. I think I really do need to give that a spin. Doesn't it just make you want to eat some sausage? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I think you need to be listening to more Hot 100 back in 1989. I was listening to Debbie Gibson. I brought her up before. Yeah. And Michael Jackson. Yeah, the Debs. Yeah. Why don't you go back and look through your 1989 diary and come back with some good stuff? I know I tore that up dramatically at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look at the modern rock charts because that's what we're here for. Yeah. Right? Not rock on. No, definitely not rock on. So in June 1989 on the modern rock charts, The Cure were ruling the charts with their song Fascination Street. They would go on to be at the number one spot for seven straight weeks. And then right at the end of June in the very last week, a new song comes up and takes the number one spot. And that's a song by the band Love and Rockets. Mm, mm -hmm. One thing that's interesting to me is their name. It seems like a really happy name. Does it? To me. Uh-huh. Maybe it's not supposed to be. Yeah. It just seems like, yay, like, I love you to the moon and back and a mm-hmm. rocket or something like that. Do you like, feel like it matches the music of the band? Mm, sure. Yeah? Yeah. So if you are familiar with the comics world I, at all. I do know the comic called Love and Rockets. Yeah, you might be familiar with uh, an underground comic called Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets is a comic by the Hernandez brothers, and it's an epically long-running comic and actually quite amazing oh yeah it's really good really good read and i was always a little unsure about which one came first me too i didn't want to say anything yeah i was gonna let you fill that part but i believe it was the comic that came first and the band named themselves after the comic all right yeah so love and rockets came out of the ashes of a band called bauhaus Mm -hmm. and bauhaus is a very important goth rock band oh yeah Maybe not the first goth rock band, but they released a song called Bella Lugosi's Dead, which is given much credit for kickstarting the goth rock movement. My band Fun Yeti covered that song. Did you? Yeah, for Halloween shows. Oh, nice. How long is that song? Like nine and a half minutes? No, cut it down. Okay. Probably a good idea. Yeah. So Bauhaus was led by Peter Murphy. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Peter Murphy decided to go solo. Mm-hmm. And he had a fairly successful solo career. But the rest of the members went on to form Love and Rockets. Okay. Now, oh, I think I know the song you're going to play. 
<laughs> you to spoil things for us? No, I know. I'm just saying. I think. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. Well, of course. If the, if there's a song that we're going to play from Love and Rockets, I think most people know what that song is going to be, and the song is called "So Alive." Do do do. And uh, So Alive is from Love and Rockets' fourth album, titled Love and Rockets. It is their most successful album in the U.S., and it featured four singles that charted on the modern rock charts. Oh, good for them. Yeah, but So Alive is their biggest hit by far. Not only does it hit number one on the modern rock charts, but it also, unbelievably to me, hit number three on the Hot 100. I mean, it's, it seems crossovery to me. It seems a little crossovery to me, but I am shocked that it was able to go number three on the Hot 100. And I guess see what it was up against. Tiffany. I guess so. But I mean, does this, doesn't this music still seem a little out there, a little weird for uh, a mainstream audience? I don't know. I think if you're going to dip your toe, that sounds about right. Like it's different, but it's still accessible and you can still, you know, it's like a, it's not a totally unique taste. Okay. Well, why don't we listen to So Alive by Love and Rockets and see what we think. I'd be curious to hear what the rest of the album sounds like, and I bet it's not like that. Really? I don't know. Yeah. What, what did you think of this song? I thought it was fine. I, I was looking at how long the song is because I like a shorter song, and I was like, ew, 411. It's a teetering. But I wasn't bored, really. You know? I think it's kind of goofy lyrically, mm-hmm. especially that beginning. I don't know what color your eyes are, baby. Like, and it's just like, it's not a compliment. Maybe she's very squinty. And your hair is long and brown is not a compliment. It's just like an observation. She's like the French Stewart of British gals. <laughs> no, he's just not paying attention. He's looking at her legs, obviously. Oh. Her legs are strong. He's looking at her hair. And they're so, so long. It's pretty bad. That's not much of a pickup line, is it? No, he's not even saying anything nice. He's just like making observations like, you own a Toyota Corolla, baby. I guess saying her legs are strong, that's probably like the nicest thing he said. Otherwise, that's an interesting compliment, though. It really is. Like, I don't know what your face looks like. Your hair's long. Yeah. Your but legs you are long. you look like you could squat 400 yeah. pounds. You look like, yeah, you could lift. I could just picture this girl going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think it probably drove some girls crazy. I'm sure. Big hit, I think. I, oh, I, this I, got played at dances, I'm sure. Sure. People got slow danced to this. Mm-hmm. They got... You know, you take a drive and you put on this tape and you're getting make out central with uh, yeah, the you're love right. you're and right. You know what? That's what this was for. That's the thing. I'm always thinking of like high energy songs to dance to, but this is like when you want the make out jam and you want it a little oh, yeah. slower. Yeah. This is the make out jam here mm-hmm. for sure. So alive. So alive. In my you pants. May, you may get an <laughs> HJ if you're lucky. <laughs> is that PG enough? I'm not, yeah. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did those drums sound like Escape Club's Wild Wild West just kind of slowed down a little bit? Yes. And you featured them a little while ago. Right? Yeah, last yeah, year, yeah, 1988, yeah. season one. That's yeah. right. And that was a big hit for them. That hit number one on the Hot uh, 100. It's those drums. That's it. You want to have a number one hit? Just grab those drums. The so Alive, Wild Wild West drums. Yeah. 
I like the song. I've heard it many times. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't really do anything for me. I think I it's, agree. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's like not offensive musically. Right. Which you could can, be what helped it go to number yeah. three on the Hot One Hundred. You know, it's like, oh okay. Yeah. It's very easy to sing along to. You know, you just say so alive, so alive. Yeah, it's and, fine. Yeah. You know, I would say it's good even, but it's not exciting to me. It doesn't really get me going. No, there's that one little part where like all the music like cuts out and he's that's his, that's probably my favorite part. Of yeah. course, yeah, you know it, it's different than the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. And then I just noticed for the first time ever, there's like this weird keyboard overlay mm-hmm. stuff, and you're like, oh, just to remind you, this is still kind of goth. Yeah, right. But the rest of it seems to me like very pop, very palatable. But like you said, nothing super punchy just right. like i'm here it's a little slow i mm-hmm. mean i think a lot of gothy music tends sure. to be slow but it, it almost seems plodding to me mm-hmm. that being said i i do always like backup singers the female mm-hmm. backup singers and i think it's a good contrast with the rest of the feel of the song i do too but i like it when it sounds a little bit more live mm-hmm. and to me it sounded like they got her or them to sing it and then they just like played it the same loop. Doesn't sound so alive. Yeah. Let's keep going. All right. So while Love and Rockets were occupying the top spot, other bands were... Uh, Clawing their way to seventh place? Yeah. Well, third place in this case. Okay. So a band we haven't heard before called 10,000 Maniacs. Mm-hmm. And they managed to make it to number three with a song called Trouble Me. Okay. And this is off of their fourth studio album which is called Blind Man Zoo. A little bit about 10,000 Maniacs. They formed in 1981 when lead singer Natalie Merchant was just 17 years old. I love these stories. I mean, I guess that still happens today, but it just doesn't seem like it feels the same way. Right. And she wasn't originally a member of the band. The band existed before her briefly. It's always like that too. It's like, we're this band and then some young girl comes in. She's like, it's really about me. Yes. They're like, <laughs> we're going to try her out. Just to see how it goes. And then, you know, yeah. it goes. Yeah, it definitely but Here's goes. one thing you might not know. Um, 10,000 Maniacs, which were named after a low budget horror movie called 2,000 Maniacs. Why did they add 8,000 Maniacs? They're just so much better than that crappy movie. <laughs> okay. They went on to sell over 8 million albums wow. in the U.S. with Natalie Merchant as the lead singer. But when she went solo, 10,000 Maniacs continued to operate. Without her. Without her. They picked up a new lead singer and they are still active today. And in fact, they recently played a show in Portland. With oh, a, yes. I, with I made a different lead singer. I saw that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this album, Blind Man Zoo, it's a very heavy album. They're coming off of a, a double platinum success of In My Tribe. And this album is not quite as successful. Its topics range from toxic waste spills to teenage pregnancy, abuse. Okay. That they sort did that of thing. the first time, the one before too. There was some, some child abuse. Yeah. Um, I feel like they're kind of a heavy band mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Although Natalie Merchant took a fair amount of flack for that from interviewers and press. Oh, really? Yeah, I, about I just, telling people not to hit their kids. Well, not that specifically, no. But I read a number of interviews with Natalie Merchant from this era, and the number one word I would have to describe them is condescending. I think there were a lot of interviewers who questioned how a young woman, who I think is not college educated, at least at that point, how she would have the knowledge and understanding to make these big uh, to have opinions. Yeah, to have exactly. How dare you? 
And some of the interviewers really stuck it to her. And That's weird that they feel like you have to be well-educated to be against toxic waste. Well, exactly. And that's how Natalie Merchant <laughs> essentially responded. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but her response was something to the effect of, you don't need to be incredibly well-informed to know what's wrong. Right. Yeah. So I'm speculating here, but I also think that some of them might have been responding to her look. Oh, she wasn't sexy enough. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think she is good looking, especially in a, like a less traditional way. I think she's attractive as well, yeah. but that's beside the point. I think uh, rock journalism at that point, especially, was very much a, a boys' club. They wanted her to have like bigger hair and, and lips more well, exactly. Lipstick. She's I, she wears kind of flowing, loose fitting outfits and right. no makeup, and her hair is she's not, not styled necessarily for them. That's one thing that I really appreciate about her. You know, yeah. I, she's selling her music. She's not selling herself. And I think that rubbed some journalists the wrong way for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, she's not singing for them either. Yeah. So Trouble Me is uh, one of the songs on the album that is a little bit lighter. And it's sometimes thought of as an antidote. Oh, like the relief to all. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's like when you eat like a really spicy meal, you're like, give me some bread or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Trouble Me was written for Natalie Merchant's father who was in the hospital at the time. Okay. So this is... Sounds sad already. Kind of... Uh, That's the upbeat one. The I, hospital well, I didn't dirge. say it was upbeat. I just think that it's it's comforting. It's a comforting song. Okay. It's not something you listen to and go like... So why don't we give it a listen? Yeah. Okay. Here's 10,000 Maniacs with Trouble Me. Um, so I do know that song, but when you were saying just trouble me, I couldn't think of it, but I've definitely heard that because I watched a lot of MTV as we've talked about before mm-hmm. and it was on the unplugged. Right. Was that the first unplugged? It was one of the first. It seems like it was an early one for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But anyway, with the, the 10,000 Maniacs one, I would think it was a pretty big selling album for them too. Yeah, because they did a cover of... Because the night... That's the first song I knew. I loved that song. Right. Anytime that song came on, I was happy. Right. That's a Patti Smith song, but it was co-written by Patti Smith and Bruce Springsteen. And so oh, it was a cool. sizable hit for 10,000 Maniacs with that song. album. I love their version. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But what about this song, Trouble Me? I think it's good. It's got um like little guitar licks, just the sound too that kind of reminded me of Sultans of Swing a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, the little sound of the guitar. And it's just like, I never play guitar like that and I've never been in a band with anyone who plays like that. So I, anytime anything is like that different, I pay attention to mm-hmm. it. And don't be mad, but I feel like 10,000 Maniacs always, to me, toe that line between, you know, adult rock, contemporary. Adult, adult contemporary, mm-hmm. yeah. Although I, I, I think it's really good. I'm glad it got played on alternative yeah, radio. It's yeah. like more like college radio, mm-hmm, I guess. Right. Despite her lack of an education, <laughs> or so they say. She dropped out of high school at the age of 16 to work at a health food store. Did you really read that? That could be true. Oh, okay. 
(laughs) (laughs) I might have read that. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, you're right. Some of their songs do border on a sound that I might classify as adult contemporary or close to that. And yet, whereas I generally would never want to listen to adult contemporary music, um, I like listening to 10,000 Maniacs. I do too. And part of it is maybe because they have more of a message and they don't sound like your average band. Mm -hmm. And I like her voice a lot. Apparently, a lot of people like her voice because her first solo album went on to sell over 5 million albums. Yeah. Did you? Does that seem crazy? Nah. People used to buy albums. That's true. That wasn't as big of a deal. Like, if you were a big star or well established, you were going to sell a lot of albums pretty much. Sure. I'm not in love with this song musically. I think it's fine. It's okay. But I do really like the sentiment of the lyrics. Just the idea of if you're troubled, you know, essentially lean on me. I've got sure. a strong back. I can yeah, support that's what, you. Yeah, that's the best part of the song, which I was going to say, they're also mentioning another strong body part. Can we make that a theme? Are we going to talk about strength? Oh, strong legs, strong back. Yeah, yeah let's keep it going. What's the next song <laughs> reference? You know, one thing we didn't really mention is that 10,000 Maniacs have a an REM connection. Natalie Merchant is very good friends with Michael Stipe from REM. Are they from Athens, Georgia? No. <laughs> Unlike everybody else, 10,000 Maniacs are from Jamestown, New York. Mm. But she's friends with Michael Stipe. They had a romantic relationship for a while, and they are kindred spirits of a sort. I think they're both politically active, or at least write songs that have some kind of message in them Mm -hmm. quite often. Although R.E.M. tends to do it a little more cryptically, generally speaking. Okay, let's keep going. Our next band is the Ramones, and... I could easily do an entire episode just about the Ramones. Love the Ramones. Love the Ramones. So the Ramones formed in 1974 in Queens, New York. The original founding members were Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy Ramone. And they all changed their last name to Ramone as part of the band. The inspiration came from Paul McCartney, who way back in the days of the Silver Beatles, before they had changed their name to the Beatles, he often performed under an alias, which was... Paul Ramon. So then they're like, this guy's a genius. We're all Ramones too. Yes, that's pretty much it. Yeah, although he was he was more like Ramon. Ramon. Without the E at the end. And they adopted a uniform look. They all wore leather jackets and tight jeans, blue jeans. I love jeans. that. I love a uniform look in a band, honestly. I love that mm-hmm. cohesion. I think it's exciting. When they walk around together, like those guys are a band. Exactly. They're not just like a bunch of random Joes. Yeah. And then uh, they went on to release a lot of albums and tour pretty much nonstop for 22 years. I mean, this this singles out like 14 years after they're formed. Yeah. So as far as commercial success, they didn't have a ton. They only had three singles that ever hit the Hot 100. And none of them went past number 66. Barely on the chart. But culturally, they were a phenomenon. I mean, they've influenced so many people, so many bands. Their fashion is iconic. Their logos are iconic. So since we can't cover their whole history, obviously, let's talk some fun facts. They appeared in a movie called Rock and Roll High School. Love that movie. Love that movie. That's a Roger Corman produced film. Really cute. The idea was originally to do a movie called Disco High. That is the opposite of rock and roll high. And then they briefly changed the name to Heavy Metal Kids. And then they came up with the idea for rock and roll high. And they wanted to get the band Cheap Trick involved in this Mm -hmm. movie. 
but they were unavailable. And then they tried to get Todd Rundgren, also unavailable. Thank God. And Paul Bartell, who is a cult actor who appeared in the film as a teacher named Mr. McGree. Mm-hmm. He suggested the Ramones, and the Ramones were available, and they were down to participate. Oh, uh, yeah, I'd do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they said. That, that wasn't even early. That was a, a soundbite that we picked of one up. one of the Ramones. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did this movie, and it was, it's hilarious and tons of fun. Yeah. Riff Randall. I love Riff Randall. I like that she's like 38. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, God, you guys, I can't wait to see the Ramones. <laughs> Also, the Ramones appeared in an episode of The Simpsons. They were helping oh, yeah. Mr. Burns celebrate his birthday. <laughs> Do you remember this? One, two, three, four. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Bernsie. Happy birthday to you. Go to hell, you old bastard. Have the Rolling Stones killed? Uh, sir, those weren't... Do as I say! (laughs) That Simpsons episode, by the way, was excellent. (laughs) Let's talk about the song we're going to hear, finally. Seriously, what the hell? Yeah, we're going to hear a song called Pet Cemetery." Another amazing Fonietti cover. Fonietti covered Pet Cemetery" as well. Yeah. Wow. You do the covers. Just for Halloween, we put our set aside... And we do all like spooky themed songs in costume. That's incredible. It was incredible. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you reform soon. Yeah, me too. So Pet Cemetery is from the Ramones' 11th album, 11th studio album called Brain Drain. But it w- this song was originally written for a Stephen King movie called Pet Cemetery. I never read that one. Did you ever read that one? I didn't, but I saw the movie. I never saw it or read it. Do you know the premise? I'm assuming some pets die and come back to life. Mm-hmm. There's a pet cemetery that I believe was built on an ancient Indian burial that old ground. Story. Yes. And, and so, what? Like the ancient Indian souls enter the pets. Oh, if that any really any time you build anything on an ancient Indian burial ground, you better be prepared for some evil hauntings. Yes. Hauntings. Yeah, poltergeist. I'm looking your way, dude. I'm still scarred. Mm-hmm. I believe there was a young kid who... Uh, but that's... What's it? Furlong, right? Is that not him? Eddie Furlong? No. Oh. Eddie Furlong was in Pet Cemetery 2. I only pay attention to movies with cute boys in it. No, Pet Cemetery was uh, with the uh, the kid from from Kindergarten Cop. It's not a tumor. That's the kid. Yeah, maybe it's a tumor maybe kid. Maybe it's a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I think his cat dies maybe, and he buries it in the pet cemetery, and of course it comes back as like an evil cat. Uh-huh. Maybe I made that up. But the kid dies, oh. and he gets buried in the pet cemetery. Why? I think because they're hoping he comes back to life, kind of a monkey's paw sort of uh, thing. And he does come back, but then he's like evil. Yeah, he's like a zombie. He's like an evil Achilles tendon slicing zombie kid. Ew. Yeah. I always got really scared by those like evil children. Yes, of course. Evil yeah. children are the, the worst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And by evil children, I mean children. children. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Babies notwithstanding. <laughs> so, okay, but here's the great thing about this. Stephen King was a huge Ramones fan. Of course he was. And when the Ramones were playing a show in Maine, Stephen King invited the Ramones to his Stephen King creepy mansion. Do you think it's even creepy? I'm imagining it is creepy. I bet it's like totally homey. 
Yeah, it's like Martha Stewart decorated. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I bet it's a nice spot. Okay. Yeah. So he invites the Ramones to hang out. Stephen King gives Dee Dee Ramone a copy of Pet Cemetery, and Dee Dee goes down to the basement, comes back an hour later with the lyrics to Pet Cemetery ready to go. Hey, could you guys write a song for my newest book, Pet Cemetery? Uh, yeah, you got it, guy. <laughs> Okay, so they released Pet Cemetery as a single, both for the movie soundtrack and also on their album Brain Drain, and it becomes a number four modern rock hit for the Ramones. The Ramones brought in some help to produce this album, and one of the producers helped to co-write this song. In order to make it a little more pop-sensible, I guess, mm-hmm. a little more radio-friendly, the songwriter added some arpeggiated guitar parts, and... Johnny Ramone, who is the Ramones guitarist, he's been bashing away with super speed at his guitar for 15 years at this point. But in fact, he found these arpeggios difficult to play. Mm. And I, I find that sort of hilarious. He just never did it. It's sort of sweet. Yeah, he just never did it. He, he's got a thing that he does, and he does it extremely, extremely well. He really well. does. The big, heavy guitar. Yeah, but then suddenly he's been asked to do something that I think a lot of guitarists would find not that difficult, and he's just never done it before. So he struggled with that a little bit. Did someone else play it? No, I think he worked through it, as far as I understand, yeah. He he added some new skills, Mm -hmm. leveled up. I was thinking the exact same thing. Bing! Yeah. After Uh, all these years, you can still learn something new. Of course, yeah. That's great. Okay, let's hear it. Pet Cemetery by the Ramones. The smell of death is on the rail And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows I don't want to be buried In a pet cemetery I don't want to live my life again Oh, I love that song. I love that song too. Here's an interesting thing though. I love this song. You love this song. But this song was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Original Song in 1989. That's like impossible that that was the worst original song. Well, it didn't win, so it wasn't. But no, I would think, how could they even say that? It's weird. It is weird. I mean, the lyrics are very silly. He's like goblins and... And wallows. But... It's so good. Yeah, it's I so really fun. like that song. And it's under three minutes long. Doesn't it just make you want to listen to a bunch more Ramones too? Yeah, but I always feel that way. Yeah, let's just go put on some Ramones. <laughs> We've got one more artist to listen to, but we're going to skip it. Forget and we're just gonna, it, it's more Ramones. Ending the podcast, we're going to listen to some Ramones. Yeah, Peace. S- see you later. Uh, later. <laughs> How about some pizza? <laughs> I got some pizza, guys. <laughs> uh, did you know that all the original members are dead? Yikes, and they're not even that old. No. I feel very lucky that I got to see them. Where did you see them? At uh, a Lollapalooza in 1997. Okay, so they did experience some sort of resurgence and a younger audience got hip to the Ramones. Yeah, I mean, I knew who they were already. Probably in part thanks to the success of Pet Cemetery, I would think. This was like... This Eight is a, years later, though. Sure, but I think I think there was a period in the 80s when maybe, oh, you know, yeah. the Ramones weren't the coolest sure. band. Mm-hmm. I mean, all my friends were watching Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies, but yes. 
Well, we've talked about the Ramones a lot. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about our fourth and final band. So there were a number of, of strange songs that peaked on the modern rock charts this month, but I decided to dig really deep. And I'm going with a song that peaked at number 28 on the modern rock charts. By the way, the modern rock charts only go to number 30. Oh. So this is pretty much the bottom of the charts. As low as you can go. Mm-hmm. This song is by a band called Swans. So Swans are fronted by Michael Jira, who's been pretty much the only consistent member of the band throughout the years. They formed all the way back in 1982, and they were part of the New York no-wave scene, which was in many ways a response to new wave. Mm-hmm. But this band, they've experimented with noise rock, post-punk, industrial, post-rock. Uh, they've tried a lot of different sounds. Most of it is fairly uh, experimental in some way or another, though. Nothing that's that's really going to be considered pop music. Mm-hmm. But the closest they ever got to pop music was probably their sixth album, The Burning World, from 1989. And the song we're going to listen to is called Saved. This album is much more accessible than their previous albums, um, but it was a critical disappointment. Yeah. What do they know? <laughs> what does anyone know? What does anyone know? Yeah. So let's listen to this song. This is called Saved by Swans. The song was, in a way, beautiful. But that guy's voice, he... I mean, I guess he was in key, but he can't really sing that well. He's kind of talk singing a little bit? Yeah, and I guess, like, his voice is so deep. It's a very deep voice, yes. Yeah, maybe it was reminding me a little bit of um, Beat Happening. I mean, not musically, sure, but vocally. Okay, I can, I can kind of see that. It's kind of like a voice where it sounds like he's half burping all the time oh so tell me what you thought about holding the song. back a burp i mean i can see why it was down low on the charts it's not like a you know tap your foot mm-hmm. get it going but i don't know i didn't dislike it mm-hmm. i get it kind of you know it was pretty let me throw this at you i've listened to this one a few times and the more i listen to it the more it struck me that it almost seems like an American counterpoint to Love and Rockets So Alive. Mm, it had similar female vocals in the background. Yes. Although they seemed more alive in this version. Right. They're both kind of slow tempoed. Yeah. They, it was like a call and response almost. The chorus of both of them are, I'm alive, so alive, and I'm saved, I'm saved. Right. Right. And both songs are the same length. They're both four minutes, 11 seconds. Oh, I was going to say that. How are all of the songs today? Four minutes, 11 seconds. Yeah. And honestly, if I had to choose one, I would pick this song. You like this one better. I do like it better. The other one is much more accessible. Mm-hmm. The other one is you can sing it right away. Mm-hmm. But I would say that this one was much more emotive. Yes. The other one seems a little numb. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the lyrics to the song either, but it seems more like he's singing from a place that is like 
deep inside of himself, like more meaningful. Exactly. I think the 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 lyrics are more meaningful in the song. Yeah. They're more interesting at least. Yeah, for sure. Whereas the other one's just very on the surface. Sure. Love and Rockets is hey, you're attractive. You're hot. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Right. And this I'm saved. I don't deserve it, but I'm saved. And there's so many ways you can read that, you know? Right. I like the intro a lot. It's chiming. Mm-hmm. It sounds very mandolin-ish. It almost seems like it's kind of a goth folk. like a yeah, yeah, I get that. Same thing with the voice too. Like, you know, obviously it doesn't sound classically trained or anything. And it's not like you're, it's not a sing-songy voice. Mm-hmm. But he's still making it happen. Mm-hmm. I like the way the sounds were layered. Would you seek out more songs by Swans? If someone said, here's like Swan's three best songs, I would definitely listen to it. And maybe based on that, I may or may not seek it out. Yeah. But on this one track, I would just say like, that is nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like bread pudding. I don't <laughs> need like a ton of it. Okay. If someone gives it to me, I'll eat it, but I'm not ordering it. Okay. Well, speaking of eating, there's a song by a band called Royal Crescent Mob. And the song's called Hungry, and I could not track this song down. I listened to all the songs that chart on the modern rock charts, every single one of them. I was unable to find a copy of this song anywhere on the internet. Weird. Yeah. If there's any listeners out there who can point me in the direction of Royal Crescent Mob's song Hungry, just so I can hear it, that would be pretty cool. I would really appreciate that. Could have been talking about them tonight. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe that's a song that I love. Who knows? Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Orly, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. If you'd like to send us a message or a comment or just tell us how great we are. uh, I want to hear it. Yeah, we do want to hear it. So if you'd like to contact us for any reason, you can get a hold of us via email at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Goodbye. (laughs) Have a good one.